Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. <laughs> I guess Isaac didn't like lentil soup. You know, those were outward things. You know, Isaac was led by the outward appearance. Samuel went to go find a king, a man's, God's man for Israel. You're going to go find the man that God has chosen to be king over Israel. And the description of the process is very interesting because it describes what, what, what Samuel is saying inside of himself. We wouldn't know except the Bible tells us. So Samuel knew that God had chosen one of the sons of Jesse. He knew that. And so what happened is described for us in 1 Samuel 16, 6-7, where it says, And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. See, here comes this son of Jesse. He's named Eliab here. And boy, he must have been impressive. Tall, strong. Yeah, he looks like a ruler of a people. So based on all that, Samuel thinks to himself, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Samuel says to himself, just look at him. Oh, the way he looks, he must be God's choice. And in the same way, Isaac looks at Esau and says, boy, the way Esau looks, he's so big, he's a strong man of the field, he's a hunter, nobody gets in his way, he's got to be God's choice. As a matter of fact, it says in 1 Samuel 16, 6, surely, Samuel says, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. That, That word surely, you can't read that without thinking of Isaiah 53. Because that, that word surely is the same root word as the word surely there and, and it used in the Lord's ult, as the Lord's ultimate anointed. When it says in Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. See, in that passage, it was also looking at the, people were also looking at the outward and they were misled. Because when it says, he bore our grief, surely he bore our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him. No. Uh, this poor guy. He was just stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Don't know what he did wrong. We only saw him outwardly as someone who was struck down by God. But we didn't see how inwardly he was actually bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows. We didn't see that. We esteemed that not. And in the same way, Samuel, who was only looking on the outward appearance of Eliab, and God had to redirect Samuel, and he said to him, Samuel, he says, the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance. Don't look on his face. Or on the height of his stature. Don't make him stand against that tree and put a mark on there and compare him to others. Because as the Lord sees not as man seeth, the Lord looks, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on on the heart. So Isaac, looking at Esau, was like Samuel looking at Eliab. Isaac, looking at Esau, was only looking on the face of Esau. You know, he was a man of the field, his ability. Probably looked like Clint. (laughs) No, Clint, I shouldn't say that. (laughs) And because Samuel let himself be distracted 
by the outward appearance of Eliab, Samuel didn't see the Lord, had refused Eliab, and he didn't see the Lord's anointed. And because Isaac let himself be distracted by the outward appearance of Esau, he didn't see that God had refused Esau and that Jacob was God's choice. And then God told the reason, Samuel, you made this, you, you know why you missed this? Because you're looking like man sees on the outward, but God looks on the heart. Isaac, you know why you missed this? Because the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, the Lord looks on the heart. So what we see here in verse 1, speaking about Isaac's spiritual eyes, that the reason his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, was because first he let his overbearing, dominating wife, Rebekah, get so in his face that he said, I don't care if God is speaking, it ain't coming through that woman. <laughs> to me, he would not hear God in his ear because he let his wife get in his face. And Isaac let his heart of love and affection toward Esau cloud his spiritual eyes. He's guided by affection. He's being led by his heart for his son rather than being led by love for God. In all this affection that misguided Isaac, we see the first thing Isaac said to Esau when he calls him, he calls Esau his eldest son, and he says to him, my son endearing term. And Esau responds to him in verse 1, Behold, here am I. And then now we see Isaac opening up his heart to Esau. He's really opening himself up to him in verse 2. And he says, Behold now, I am old, and I know not the day of my death. See, from what Isaac said to Esau in verse 2, we can see, boy, there's something really brewing inside of Isaac. He's worried about his death. He's worried about the day of his death. He's concerned about the day of his death. He's, like, he's concerned about dying. This has really flooded his mind. Now let's ask the question, why all of a sudden has Isaac become so concerned about dying? I mean, you know, I should go through all these years. I mean, why are you worried about this? You know, but, he's, but now he's really worried about dying. Well, well, let's try to figure it out. How old is Isaac about now? Well, you can just kind of figure it out a little bit because you get these indications. You know, in Genesis 41, 46... Genesis 41, 46 tells us that Jacob's son Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh and became the prime minister. And then a few chapters later, in Genesis 45, 6, it tells us that after seven years of plenty, after two years of famine, or nine years, that Jacob comes into Egypt. So in Genesis 49, 9, it tells us there that when Jacob arrives in Egypt, he tells Pharaoh, I'm 130 years old when he comes into Egypt. So at the time when Jacob stands before Pharaoh, he's 130 years old, and Joseph's 39 years old. That means that Jacob is, is about 91 years old when Joseph's born. And, and if Joseph's born, more or less about 14 years, something like that, after Jacob left Isaac and got to Laban, that means that Jacob was 77 years old when all this happened, and you thought he was 17. <laughs> See, this little mama's boy is 77 years old, right, Ken? About your age, right? <laughs> so, anyway, Genesis 25, 26 tells us, as we've already seen, Isaac was 60 years old when he had Jacob. So, you know, you do the math, 60 plus 77, and you come to understand that Isaac's 137 years old at this time, and Jacob's 77 years old. So that's kind of like, you know... <laughs> Now, why at 137 years old did Isaac feel like he's about to die? (laughs) 
I have no idea. <laughs> that sounds like a ridiculous question, but people lived a long time then. Well, look at Genesis twenty-five seventeen and tell me why you think he might have been concerned about dying when he was 137 years old. Genesis twenty-five seventeen. What happened? Ishmael died at 137 years old. He's reached the age of his half-brother. And there ain't nothing that's going to make you feel like you're going to die is when your sibling dies at that age. You know that, and so he, Isaac's half-brother was 14 years older than him, Ishmael. And so Ishmael dies at 137 years old. Happy birthday, Ishmael, 137 years, and now you're dead. And so now, happy birthday, Isaac, you're 137 years old. 137? Oh, no. <laughs> so he reached the same age as Ishmael when he died. And so he's thinking, I'm going to die. And so, did he die? He didn't die. No, it, does anybody know how old he was when he died? He was 180. So this little puppy's got a few more years left. <laughs> he's got 43 more years on that odometer. But he doesn't know it. So he lives till he's 180. He's got 43 more years, but he feels he's going to die. And you know, it was a good thing. It's not a bad thing to be concerned about dying. And it's a good thing to be thinking about what you need to do before you die. And what Isaac was telling Esau was, his, as a matter of fact, very important. You look at the verse 4, the end of verse 4, are three very important words. They're the theme of this, as far as Isaac is concerned. You know what those three words are? Last three words of verse 4, before I die. This is the before I die chapter or concern that Isaac has. He has the before I die concern. And he's telling Esau, I'm going to give you my before I die to-do list. And at the top of the list is, I got to appoint you the heir. And you got to, I got to give you the blessing of Abraham. See? So that was on Isaac's before I die to-do list. You know, and you think about this. What do people think? What's on people's to-do list, the before I die to-do list? You know, in most bookstores today, there's a stainless steel bookmark. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. And it printed on it, and there's a whole bunch of books listed, and it says, 50 books to read before I die. <laughs> it says that, right? I mean, everybody has a before I die to-do list. And for some, it's 50 books to read before I die. I guarantee you, I will die without reading 50 books. <laughs> I've probably read three books so far. So. so for some, it's 50 books to read. I mean, I remember one day I was traveling to Europe, to London, on a business trip from JFK in New York. And I'd spent the night at JFK, and I was on that, and I, and I was on that American Airlines 9 a.m. flight from JFK to London. And as was my, my practice, I always prayed in the morning at the hotel that God would put a Jewish person in the seat next to me. And God has always been so faithful to do that. Now, that's not really a miracle when you're leaving from New York. <laughs> okay, so... But it is when you're traveling from Nairobi to Addis Ababa. <laughs> and God has done that there too. So on this morning, I settled down in my seat. And sure enough, next to me is this Jewish lady in her 50s. And, and so I began to speak with her. And, and I asked her, you know, where are you going? And what are you doing? And, and she said, she, she tells me, she said, I, I've just been diagnosed with terminal stage 4 ovarian cancer. And she said, I only have a few months at most to live. So with this short time to live, and she, and she did the before I die. She said, with the short time to live, she said, I've always wanted to see Paris. 
So I'm taking this last trip, and she said, I've never seen Paris. And then she said, I, I, want, I need to see Paris before I die. See? And so when she told me that, it, of course, it's so shocking to hear that. You know, you kind of take a double look, like, you know, she's going to die. And, but um, she gives the before I die. I just sat there, there. I was just kind of like astounded, you know, with the words before I die. And, and I thought, you know, that's the most important thing that she feels she has to do before she dies. She's got to go to Paris. And everybody has a before I die to-do list. And for her, it was to see Paris. Everybody has a before, before I die to-do list. For some, before I die, I've always wanted to sail in the Caribbean islands before I die. Before I die, I've always wanted to swim in the Great Barrier Reef of Australia. Before I die, I always wanted to go on a safari in Africa. That's what the Make-A-Wish Foundation is all about. You know, so the children with cancer, well, what is it you want to do before you die? I'd never forgotten her words. I need to see Paris before I die. And, and so I was giving some thought, and, and I told her, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm very impressed with what you just said before I die. And, how, and I told her, I said, I don't think your first priority is to see Paris before you die. And, and I told her, I said, I think your first priority is to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your God and Savior before you die. Amen. That's what I told her. And then she didn't talk to me anymore. <laughs> but as I was writing my notes for our study now, as I was writing him this morning, a text message comes to me on the phone from Ken Small. And Ken writes these things to me. Praying for you today, this is the day the Lord hath made. We have today to show forth his glory. Maybe tomorrow will be gone. <laughs> and I said, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I got Ken out of my face and I heard the Lord speaking. You know, <laughs> Everybody has a before I die to-do list. And for Ken, it was to show forth the glory of God. And it was this before I die that Ken expressed, we, all, we have today to show forth his glory. Maybe tomorrow will be gone. That was on his before I die to-do list. The Lord Jesus Christ had a before I die to-do list. And he said, before I die, he said in John 9, 4 through 5, he said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. So in John 9, 4, when the Lord Jesus, with a view toward the day of his death, I know not the day of my death, was what the statement that Isaac said, with the view toward the day of his death, the Lord Jesus talked about what he must do. That was on his must-to-do list before I die. And, and he's looking at his death, he says, you know what's on my to-do list? It's not to read 50 books. It's not to go to Paris to see Paris. It's not to go sail on the Caribbean islands. It's not to go swim in the Great Barrier Reef. It's not to go on a safari in Africa. But my to-do list is I must do the works. I must work the works of him that sent me. That's our work to-do list also. He's our guide. So our before I die to-do list is to do the works, work the works of him that sent me, which means that first Find the works that God has given us to do. Second, work the works that God has given us to do. That's John 9. And third, finish the works that God has given us to do. See, it's in John chapter 9 here where he's about to heal a blind man when he's in the middle of his ministry and he said, I must work the works. I must be about my father's business. I've got to be doing. And he's found the work one of the works there in John 9 is a man here who's going to be healed outwardly and inwardly. He's going to heal his sight. 
And then he's going to say, now you need to believe on the one who God has sent. He says, who is he, Lord, that I may believe on him? He heals him inwardly. So he's in this whole process here in John 9. He says, I'm working the works. I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. Later, at the end of his ministry, when he's about to die, in John 17, 4, 17, 1 through 4, it says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also may glorify thee. And thou hast given him power over all flesh. He should give eternal life. He shall give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal. They might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. See, this is his famous Father, the hour has come statement. And, and what a pleasure for him. What a sense of accomplishment for him to be able to say, Father, the hour has come. I finished the work which thou gavest me to do. See, his work was give eternal life. And he did that. What a goal for us to be able to come as he did at the end of our lives and be able to look at our death with such a fulfilling sense of accomplishment and say those same words. Father, the hour has come. I've finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And how will we be able to say those words? Only if we give ourselves to find the work that God has given for each one of us to do. God has a work for each one of us to do. Like the song says, there's a work for Jesus ready at your hand. Tis a task the master just for you has planned. Haste to do his bidding. Yield him service true. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. See, we'll be able to say those words, Father, the hour has come. I finished the work which thou hast given me to do. Only if we give ourselves to finding the work he has given us to do, and we are assured that he wants us to find the work. He does. We'll be able to say these words if we believe that, that he wants us to find it. We'll be able to say those words if we give ourselves to work the works, do what he's given us to do. I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day, John 9, 4. And just as Isaac had his death in sight in verse 2, so the Lord Jesus had his death in sight when he says these words, I must work the words, the night's coming. See, he viewed his time on earth as daytime, when work could be done. And he called his death or departure from the earth as nighttime, when no man could work. And and as King Solomon put it this way in Ecclesiastes 9.10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, your hand finds to do it because you looked for it. Do it with thy might, for there's no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. See, he's saying there's no work in the grave. Yeah, that means we have this moment to work for God on earth. There's a wonderful work of bringing the lost to light, to be found, of bringing those in darkness to light, of bringing those who are dead to life in the Lord Jesus Christ. That only can be done on earth. That work does not go on in heaven, which is what Isaiah meant when he said in Isaiah 38, 13, the grave cannot praise thee, death cannot celebrate thee, they that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. When Isaiah says, they that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth, that means for those who die without the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no hope for salvation in the grave. It's done. Those who who we hear about that we intended to bring the gospel to and died before we did, and it so disturbs us because we didn't jump out 
and give them the gospel because these words, those that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. Cannot. Isaac says, I know not the day of my death. He's saying what Solomon said in Proverbs 27, 1, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Isaac is talking about the day of his death. And the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about a person who refused to think that there was a day of his death. And that was when he said in Luke 12, 16 through 21, when he spoke a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. Such a problem. And he said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns, build greater, bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night... Thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, not rich toward God. See, this parable, we, we see the root problem here is a certain man, and what he says to himself, he, sa- he says, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. See, that's a problem. He needs as many years. In fact, it's the indefinite time. Because the problem was his estimation of how much time he had and the reality of how much time he had. The man thought he had many years. He says, I gotta, I'm, I'm, I'm on easy street for many years. Watch me coast. But you see, that, that thought was folly. Many years was folly because in reality, God said to him, many years, you fool, tonight is your last night on earth. Tonight. Just think of that. That rich man went to sleep in his comfortable bed, surrounded by all his possessions, in a euphoria of a false hope, with a dream that he's on easy street for a long time, that he's made it, with a false expectation. He's going to wake up the next morning to spend another day in paradise. And all that was not true, because in reality, he never woke up. He never woke up, because in the very height and pinnacle of his self-confidence, he swept off the earth to stand before God in judgment. It reminds me of two people I saw this last week. One was a Jewish man. He's 76 years old. I visited him at his house in, in, by the beach in Los Angeles. And he kept saying to me, this is paradise. This is paradise, you know, to describe where he lived by the beach. He wants to sell his business. He's 76 years old. He said, I think I've got 25 more years to live. <laughs> of course, we're not going to talk about the cardiac disease, the stent he has, and the prostate cancer he's just gone through. But he's got 25 more years. <laughs> The other person I saw this week was an old friend who had sold his business for $100 million and had taken four years to build his dream house, his 14,000-square-foot dream house on a lake in Texas for a mere cost of $30 million. After all, you know. <laughs> and, and we're walking around, and he has to stop and say, I can't go any farther because my blood pressure is getting too dangerously high. The rich man in Luke 12 says, I have many years. The Lord says, you have this night. You don't even have all of this night. Isaac says in verse 2, I know not the day of my death. In other words, Isaac was saying that he knew not when he must die. That's the meaning there. He must die. And death is not an if, it's a when. And our goal should be to see ourselves that there is a day when we must die and to live our lives so that when we come to the day when we must die, to say we have nothing else to do but to die. That's the goal. 
And so Isaac, he, now Isaac, he comes along here, and uh, what time is it? I can't see that clock so well. Maybe I don't want to see that clock. His eyes are dim so that he could not see. <laughs> All right, we'll stop here. Let's pray. Father, help us. Lord, as we see the error of Isaac, of Esau, of Rebekah, of Jacob, Lord, of the rich man, we pray that but for the grace of God, we'll go that same way. Lord, take heed lest he fall. So help us this morning, Lord, to get the wisdom that numbers our days, to be able to come to the place where Isaac was that says, I know not the day of my death. Help us, Lord, to find your works. Help us to work your works. Help us to be able to come to the end of our life. And, and when the hour comes to say, I've finished the work, and to realize how wonderful it would be if we just said, nothing else left to do but to die. Thank you, Lord, for that you want us to be able to finish your work while we're here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800 247 3051 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator. I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event, including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104.